What a privilege and honor it is to be here, and I mean that. Um, in this little building, God transformed our lives many years ago. Um, we started a new journey with God, and uh, you guys modeled it for us. And we have continued that journey. You know, I always look forward to coming here. I always um, look forward to sharing with you what, what the Lord's been teaching me, because that's what He does. And yet, it's always hard because I feel like you guys are so fed here. Um, so, what I share um, comes from a man who's growing. So, even though I speak it as truth, you always examine the scriptures because that's truth. I'm not. But this is my journey in knowing God, in discovering Him, in seeing His faithfulness in my life, what this journey looks now compared to what it has in the past, what faith looks like, which at times I feel seems to to be so different for me than what it has been in the past. Uh, when we, that song, okay, I'm terrible with words and remembering words, so. <laughs> but it was, you know, uh, speak to my heart the things that are true. I was just thinking, what is hopelessness? And uh, going to the book of Exodus it's, so Moses announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will pass through the land, all the firstborn sons will die, and every family in Egypt from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on it, and it goes down. <laughs> I believe that hopelessness is knowing the tragic result of your disobedience, but not responding. Just think of that, like everything's being articulated. It's so clear, this is what's going to happen. But no response from the heart. Why? Because God declared man and Adam dead, and corpses do not respond regardless how great the stimulus. Imagine being in that condition, that regardless of the truth that is spoken, a heart remains unresponsive. Oh, what a hopeless state that would be to realize that we can be spoken truth and we can respond in obedience to truth. What hope we have. What, what a difference in life. But I was going to talk to you guys this morning about different aspects of the walk of faith. Things that I've learned, I, I have personally in my, my personal life been going through a study in the book of Exodus, or through the Bible, and after a year I'm in Exodus. <laughs> oh, it's been so rich. Oh, I wish we had hours. We don't. Maybe we do, no. <laughs> I hope you got your packed lunch, No. <laughs> But this thing of, you know, we, we know we're 
Uh, we're just going to kind of go through. I'm, I'm in Exodus chapter 12. We'll just go through a couple passages. And it's just little nuggets that the Lord showed me along the way, just things that just kind of really resonated that the Lord used in my life. But uh, he tells them, you know, he says uh, in verse 11, he says, now wear your traveling clothes as you eat this meal, as though prepared for a long journey. Wear your sandals and carry your walking sticks in your hands. Eat the food quickly, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn sons and firstborn male animals in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. And and here the Lord says, man, when you celebrate this Passover, I, I want you to be fully clothed. I want you to have your shoes. Uh, the, the purpose of this, not, this meal is not entertainment, by the way, nor could it really be because it says in the chapter before where we read that there would be wailing as never had been heard. So imagine eating that meal, hearing your neighbors just wailing. Uh, the People in Asia have a different way. You've seen that as you've seen uh, people from the Middle East, how they wail. <laughs> it is very much a cultural thing, how they approach death and, and how they mourn the death of someone. It is sometimes overwhelming when you hear that wail from people who are mourning. But the one thing I learned here is this. That when God redeemed us, he would launch us on a journey. We wouldn't remain in the same place and do the same things. No, everything would change from that moment on. That to me has just been this thing that's been so critically important for me to understand is that God is never content with leaving me where I'm at. He will always move me. He will always, I would rather settle. I would rather things remain unchanged in my life. I hate discomfort. I hate change of, of, of all those things. I don't enjoy it. But God says freedom is there. And you're going to have to walk this journey towards freedom. What a cool thing for us to remember that that this process of walking by faith will require for you to be comfortable with things continually moving and changing. I wish I had known that years ago. Because <laughs> all my life I've tried to keep them the same. <laughs> or be comfortable or, or keep my environment somewhat stable. And God says, I'm not in that. I'm, I'm more concerned about your growth and your comfort. I'm more interested in you discovering me than in you just knowing me for what you already know of me. And so I'm going to continue to move you. And then I love towards the end of the chapter, well, verse Verse 40, it says, The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. 
In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that the Lord's forces left the land. That night had been reserved by the Lord to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this same now, now, now belongs to him. You must celebrate every year from generation to generation and remember the Lord's deliverance. You know what's cool? God can't stand us staying one more day in captivity. God had pronounced that they would be there for 430 years, but guess what? God was waiting for that day, the next, the very day where that was fulfilled. It's like, I'm not leaving you here anymore. And that neat that the Lord cares so much for our freedom. And you know what? The purpose of this journey, the purpose of this freedom, um, chapter 8 says it's so good. I think it's verse 1. Then the Lord says, go to Pharaoh once again and tell him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they can worship me. (laughs) The purpose of freedom is worship. As we do this journey, as we experience greater freedom, we know him greater. We know him better. And the fruits of our lips magnify and glorify God. That's the purpose. It's not so you can do more. It's not so that you can, no, it's so that we worship him. That's why he set us free. Sorry, it's just little little things along the way that, that I learned. And then after in chapter 13, um, it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them to the road that runs through the Philistine territory, even uh, though that was the shortest way from Egypt to the promised land. If the people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them along a route through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the Israelites left Egypt like a marching army. (laughs) You know what? The cool thing is, although we're not ready maybe for battle, it doesn't matter. We're not, it doesn't mean we're not ready for growth. And the Lord just knows and he establishes those seasons in our life when he brings us on this journey of faith. Some of it is a time of strengthening and some of it is a time for battle. And so that, that happens to them. They're, they're on that, that journey. It says, leaving Succoth, they, uh, they camped at Ethium on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord guided them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, that way they could travel whether it was day or night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from their sight. An ever-constant, present God, whether you feel it's daytime or nighttime in your life. He is what we need for the times and the seasons that we walk through. But this is maybe uncomfortable when you get to chapter 14. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people to march towards, I'm sorry, I'll just, you can read the names of those and mess them up in your own mind. 
camp there along the shore opposite of this town, then Pharaoh will think those Israelites are confused. They are trapped between the wilderness and the sea. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this so that I will receive greater glory at the expense of Pharaoh and his armies. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there, uh, camped there as they were told. What if obedience put you in a place of vulnerability and risk? Obedience to God was going to put them in a place of vulnerability and risk. Just listen to what Pharaoh says. He's like, what a bunch of morons. Look at where they landed up like... You couldn't be more stupid. Because you see, what I'm struggling with and what I have struggled with is, are we okay with obedience that makes us vulnerability or that would make us vulnerable but maximizes the glory and the work of God? That means he puts you in a place that's so uncomfortable. But it's not just that he puts you in a place that's uncomfortable. How close or how, how comfortable are you with how willing or how close he'll let your enemy get to you? That's hard. When God asks you in obedience to step here and you're an open target and people can come after you, and they do. It's not like they might, they do. And you find yourself there. And you go, I got no way out. And what I have had to do and wrestle with is this. God is not just my salvation, but he is the author and the authority behind my distress. He's not just my salvation. He's the author and the authority behind my distress. And prayer is not going to change that. God has them right where he wants them. And we say, but God, that's not what I think this walk of faith should do. It's not what I've been told. I've always been told that it brings me to this place of peace. Well, guess what? This, this direction didn't. This brought them to a place of turmoil. I've struggled as I see the Lord in obedience as I'm walking, and then I find myself in these situations, and I go, but wait, this doesn't match what I think it should feel like, look like, or what I am experiencing. And God says, are you willing to step out so that my name, my glory is maximized? Are you willing to acknowledge that I am the author of your discomfort? Okay.
When God lets our, our enemies close, it's frightening how close he allows them to get. And you know what happens? <laughs> They're in that place of uncertainty. They're in that place of risk. And they turned against Moses and complained, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough grace for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave? Because God has done that in my life. One of the things is, it is very easy to hold others responsible for the place we find ourselves in. When I feel that in my life, I want to figure out who's responsible for it. Why did you, whether it's my leadership, whether, it doesn't matter. It's my natural response. Because I want out. When this is happening in my life, I'm trying to find and find who's responsible for this. And God says, but Dave, you have to acknowledge that I am not just your salvation, but I am the author and the guide that brought you into this distress. You see, that's why it's absolutely important that you are convinced of God's direction for your life. Because if you're not, you'll constantly be, look, be looking to others to see who's responsible for the turmoil. When you can see that this is God from the hand of God, then you know who to go to. Without the convictions of God's leading, the past will always seem more appealing. Why? Because the journey of faith always leads us to the discomfort that God is in control and not us. You see, what I've had to learn is this. I cannot read the scriptures without acknowledging this fact that I serve a sovereign God. Right? Although God can be opposed, or though God can be opposed, His will is never hindered. Right? He said, I'm going to free these people. It's time for you to, meet, to, to leave this land of Egypt. Was he opposed? Yes. Pharaoh absolutely opposed this process. But guess what? The sovereign God says, I still fulfill my purposes. So, but, but God says, Dave, I don't just need you to acknowledge my sovereignty my, this purpose of growth in your life is not only that you would acknowledge my sovereignty, but you would acknowledge my character. You see, when I go through distress, is this still this God, this loving God, who has all the wisdom, who orchestrates everything? I have to not just say God is sovereign, but it's that God who is sovereign is also a God who is. And now I speak out the character of God. But this journey won't just make you acknowledge that you serve a sovereign God and that he 
does all these things out of that character, but he is not just sovereign and functions out of his character, but he always accomplishes his purposes. That's a process of growth. He's sovereign. He's functioning in his character. And these things are according to his purpose. Because he controls the affairs of this world towards that ultimate purpose that he has in mind. But lastly, it's not just that I acknowledge his purpose or that he is sovereign and that he does it out of his character and that it's serving his purpose. The last one is that I walk in his values. How does a believer walk in the middle of something like that? Now I get to exercise when those things are clear in my mind that he is sovereign, that this is the character of God, and this is accomplishing his purposes. Lastly, now I have his values to hold on to. So how does a man walk in conflict? How does a man walk when he is attacked? How does a man of God walk when, and you go down, when he, when he needs to forgive? So lastly, I embrace the values of God, but I can't do that without acknowledging those things before. Um, so they turn against Moses, okay. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand where you are and watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. You don't have to lift a finger in your defense. And verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. You know, so here's Moses. He tells the right answer. As a leader, he tells them who this God is. But you know what? I think he goes back to his tent and he's like, oh, Lord. And he's crying. Just because a leader gives you the direction that God has, it doesn't mean they don't walk in fear. It doesn't mean they're not like you. They are. They're just as afraid of what this journey looks like than you. No one's shielded from this journey. No one's shielded from this process of growth. But what I don't like about this passage is that in my life, I've experienced God as my guide. Many times in life, God made his directives so clear in my life that for me, and this is what I would tell my boys, pray to God that he makes his will so clear that it becomes an issue of obedience or disobedience, not an issue of not knowing. And so I've done that in my life. I said, God, make your will so clear that I know how to walk. That it becomes an issue of either me not yielding, disobeying, or me following you. But what if God chooses to change his position in your life? Which he did. 
You see, they had experienced God over them. They had experienced God before them. And now God changes his position and says, I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to be that barrier between you and the Egyptians. You know, that's the complexity of life too, is that God changes sometimes his position in our life. His manifestation in what we're knowing and experiencing of him. That's been uncomfortable for me. It is uncomfortable for Moses too. And what does God say? (laughs) Quit crying. You know, sometimes prayer is an act of stalling, not an act of faith. That's what he says here. Moses, I've made it clear to you what you ought to do. You don't need to pray about this anymore. Just take what's in your hand. What's already been entrusted to you, just take it and now move. I've had to do that recently. I see, but God, I prefer you up front. That's what I've grown accustomed to. That's what I feel comfortable with. And he says, I'm not. I'm going to tell you what to do. And now you must walk by faith. Because in that process, you will get to know me differently. You see, before you've known me as a shelter. You've known me as a guide. Now now you're going to know me in a different way. It's just part of your process of growth, Dave. And so we do that. Uh, Sometimes God will position himself as our rear guard and not the lead. He will be with us and will be what is needed, but not always what is wanted. He might change his position in our lives, still and always a presence and a guide. And so we know that he does step forward and he does take that step of faith. And so um, yeah, in verse 21, you know, it says, then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water. You know, I, what I wrote down here is uh, God makes a way the miraculous is both exciting and frightening. They walked on dry ground. <laughs> that was miraculous with walls of water on each side of them. That's terrifying. <laughs> that's the journey of faith. Yes, there's something that's incredible. Yes, there's something that's miraculous about what God is doing. But when I look at it, I'm also terrified. <laughs> You see, like with Harbor Home, the the journey ahead looked impossible. The journey behind looked incredible. Faith is never easier. Why? Because it's simply obedience moving forward, trusting God. Just a walk of obedience when you cannot explain it. Come on. 
Since when does waving a stick over water or whatever opens it up? That's never happened. And, and I mean, we read these stories, but when you think that you would be there as a leader in front of the people and you go out with your stupid stick and touch the water, I mean, it's like, what's the guy doing? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like for Moses to actually trust God, that that's what God wanted him to do when it looked like idiotic. Look at our, not stupid leader, but I mean, what is he doing touching the water with that stick? And yet in that act of faith, God moved. And they moved through. (laughs) Then a little bit later, and Moses led the people, I'm sorry, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the sure desert. They traveled in this desert for three days without water. When they came to Myra, they finally found water, but the people couldn't drink it because it was bitter. And that is why they called the place Myra, which means bitter. The question is this, guys, is what if this journey of faith brings you to a place of need and unfulfilled expectation? You know, they walked. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And as they walk, this walk is creating a need. They're three days into this, and they're stinking thirsty. But they get to this water, and what is it? That, that, that journey created a need, and they get to water, and when they get to that water, they expect it to be able to satisfy, right? But they can't drink it. What if your journey of faith moves you towards a place that will increase your neediness, and at the end... You will have unexpected or expectations won't be met. Why would God do that to his people? Because a natural response in those situations is to become bitter. And God says, I can take that which is bitter in your life and I can make it sweet. That's just as powerful from God. To take this journey that we've walked and it's created a need and when we got to the place where we thought these needs would be met, they're not. I've been there. I've given myself and then the Lord just unraveled everything. I felt like this whole walk was obedience. Why would you do this to me? I felt shamed. I felt broken. I felt... I felt so many things. And I fought against bitterness. And God says, I can take that. Even that. And it will become something sweet. It will be a place of remembrance. 
we know further in the book that even in Exodus, when you get to that land, guess what? You'll never be free of battles. There's going to be the Amorites, the Hittites, the Levites, all the parasites there. <laughs> all the things that take the life out of you, that drain you. You'll still be facing those. And they'll still be in that promised land. I want to encourage you guys. Because I think sometimes some of the greatest discouragement I have felt is that when I was doing this journey, it just didn't seem like what it should be. But it was God all the way through. Until what time do I got? Uh, till, is it till 11? I, I just, an, another passage that, I, that God used in this in my life, because that's what he's been doing in my life, is 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and we know the story. It's about David and Goliath. But there was a bunch of stuff there that God had to teach me. And Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted across the, to the Israelites, Do you need the whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute with a single com, uh, in a single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves, but if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send a man who will fight with me. Then Saul and the Israelites heard this. They were terrified and deeply shaken. What I've seen is that our enemy at times can seem overwhelming. He has a clearly stated agenda against us. The enemy narrows the battle to his position of strength and challenges us to engage right there. Right? That's what he did. He, he said, I, I mean, they challenged him and said, hey, this is our strength, this giant right here, and then we're going to ask you to fight on this ground. That's what our enemy does to us. He's very, very declared as to his purposes against us. And sometimes he narrows our vision to his area of strength. And we can feel so deeply shaken. And so we see, uh, David, I'm going to go to verse 15. <clears throat> I think it's there. No. Um, let me see here. Yeah. <laughs> verse 20, it says... Uh, Oh, well, even before that, um, okay, let's see here. David's brothers were with Saul. And, um, so David left the sheep with another shepherd, uh, or he left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning. 
with the gifts. He arrived at the outskirts of the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. It's interesting. It, was, it said that every morning they would get together or they would get one army on one side of the valley, one on the other side. That's what they did every day. I wonder how the day looked like. I wonder if part of that was, okay, guys, this is Saul's army. And so is there training that went along with that? Did the guys go home at night and then sharpen their swords? Is that how they function? And then the next morning, you know, maybe the guy gets up, his wife's made breakfast. She's like, you got a half hour before you got to show up on the battle lines. And, and he says, well, man, can you tighten my, my armor in the back? And, you know, just getting ready. Hey, we'll see you, son. You know, puts his sword in his shield. Look, I can even shave the hair off my arms. I mean, this baby's ready to go. What I wrote is we can go through the motions of warfare without actually engaging in battle. Just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries, there's a good chance they received the tactical training they needed, the weapons, and even the pay. They were probably professional warriors. But verse 21 says, Soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, uh, army against army. Sometimes we do nothing more than posturing. Nothing is lost or won, even though we've been to the battlefront. Just think of that. They've showed up at the battlefield before, days before. But no battles won. No battles lost. It's just posturing. It's like, Dave, you can't go through this without engaging in a warfare. You have to step into the battle. It's so easy for us to do all the spiritual armor and all the stuff like that without ever going to war. This isn't our profession. We've been called to battle. And it said... uh, As he was talking to them, the champion from Gath came out from the Philistine ranks, shouting and challenging the army of Israel. The champion of Gath. You know, sometimes we get our credentials by our friends. Dude, you know, he might have been the bully in the school, and he grew up, and and little by little, he earned a reputation, the champion of Gath. It might not have been something that he earned in warfare. It might have been just something allocated to him as a title from his peers. And so often we do that to each other, don't we? When we give titles to each other and praises that really aren't earned in battle. As soon as the Israelites... The Israelite army saw him. They began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men were asking. He comes out 
each day to challenge Israel. And have you heard about the huge reward the king has offered to anyone who kills him? The king will give him one of his daughters as a wife, and the whole family will be exempt from paying taxes. Warriors, there's one thing that's missing here. A good description of the enemy and a good description of the reward, but nothing about the battle. That's what I find myself doing. I, th this journey is calling me to say, Dave, you know, you, you might know the enemy very well, and you might know the reward, but you need to engage. And, and that's what David does. Uh, just really quick... Man, just a couple more things that I thought were cool. It just, I'm so sorry, I got so many notes. <laughs> and it's just fun to walk with the Lord uh, and learn these things. Uh, Dave talked to some of the people. Obviously, when Dave's older brother heard David talking to them, he was angry. What are you doing around here, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and dishonesty. You just want to see the battle. You know, sometimes when God is moving in our heart, and, and you know what? David might have had all, even un, unhealthy motives. He, he wanted to know what the prize was, but he also said, who's this guy that's defying the armies of the living God? You know, just because sometimes your motives are not always clear and not always perfect, it doesn't mean that God says, wait until you've cleared all that up before you engage. And just that's a process of growth you're going to go through. I will continue that sanctifying, but engage in battle. And you know what? Sometimes when we do that, the response of people around us is, yeah, like, who are you? Like, quit meddling in stuff that's beyond your pay grade. Right? That's exactly what it is. And you know what? I know your heart. You're, you're not even really after the right thing. I, I, you're just here to see the battle. But David is, is taking these steps of faith. Verse 32. But don't worry about a thing, David told Saul. I will go fight this Philistine. You know, faith often requires a bold statement of faith, an open declaration. It's not like he was like, you know what, I'm not going to do anything, but let me grab those stones and, you know, maybe I'll try to, when he's not paying attention, I'll try to wing one of those and hit the guy. No. Sometimes God is requiring for us to make an open declaration. I will fight this battle. That's the hardest thing to do because you put yourself right out there in front of everybody and everybody knows what you just declared. That's hard because people will look at you like a fool. And I'll say, why, why are you engaging in this area? You have no credentials. You're, not a, you're, 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 you're a stinking shepherd. 
You're not a warrior by trade. You don't fit in this scenario. What we see in verse 33, though, is don't be so ridiculous. Saul answered, there's no way you can go fight this Philistines. You're only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. Like, like your credentials don't. God might move you outside of your area of expertise and comfort. Sometimes the journey of faith does that. It is putting you so out there that you're like, oh, my goodness, I feel like a fool. I can't tell you how many times I've said that to the Lord. Lord, I just feel like an idiot. Why am I even saying these things? And verse uh, 34 and uh, 35, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep. He said, when a lion, and then he gives. <laughs> you see, God has been preparing you. You've already experienced his faithfulness. Strength is, is drawn from what has been tested. You don't have to be an expert at it. Have you just walked with God? Have you seen his faithful hand in your life? Because you know what? That's where courage comes from. It's from what you know of God. Verse 37, 38, I'm just about done. Um, I have done this, okay, and then the Lord who has saved me from the claw of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. Uh, Saul finally con uh, consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor. <laughs> you know, when sometimes people see our boldness to walk in faith, they don't necessarily stand behind us. In fact, what I found is their affirmation might come with a desire to change you. You might sense a need to become something different or be better suited for the battles ahead. Don't lose the identity God has forged in you. You are His workmanship, created for what God has prepared for you. I say, you, you want to do this battle? Then, then go ahead, put on this right armor. <laughs> it's like, might not be how God has asked you to do battle. It wasn't for David. And so, God has been preparing you for warfare. You're ready for battle. I just want to tell you that. I don't know who you are and what God's asking you to do, but you're ready. Why? The Lord is with you. And it says, he went down and got what? He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across to fight Goliath. Why five stones? I know, people say he might have had four brothers. Maybe. 
But you know what? I think ultimately he didn't know what it would take to win. But he was getting ready to go the distance. He was counting the cost. For me to do this is going to require, I don't know, but God, I'm willing. You know how uncertain you feel when all you got is five pebbles in your bag? It's like, and I'm supposed to go do battle? Yeah, because I've been preparing you for that. You walk out there by faith. And he does that. He declares not only to Saul, but then he goes out and he has the audacity to rile up this guy. I'm coming to you. And I mean, he's just, it's not like he was like, oh, I think I lost something out here. You know, like I'm looking for, I'm just trying to get, and in his heart, he's just trying to get closer to Goliath. No. No, he steps in that battleground. He says, yeah. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I have no clue what God's asking for you guys. But I'll tell you what, the journey of faith is both, both miraculous and terrifying. And you got to live with that reality of that tension being that's what's required in a walk of faith. It's going to get uncomfortable if it, not, if it hasn't already been. <laughs> it's going to feel like God has put you out there in a place of vulnerability and risk. That was totally his design. He wanted it to be so evident that, that people called you fools for doing it. But ultimately, he'd step in, even though he allowed the enemy to get way too close. Where even you were paralyzed. But the worst response, or not the worst, but where you would feel, I need, I, I need to cry out to God more. And he says, no, I'm just asking you to walk. <laughs> this is not a time of prayer. It's a time of moving. Oh. Those are difficult. I can't tell you the days I have struggled when God has asked me to do that. To openly declare what I feel the Lord is asking. And I know I've heard people go, what a fool. What a fool. Even with Harbor Home, I'm like, God, I can't go to the scriptures and figure out that. Yeah, a fool is one who starts something and has never considered the cost to complete it. I made an open declaration to all my neighbors. And God, I don't want your name to be, what do you call that? You know, like disgrace because I didn't count the cost. But you clearly said do it and do it now. It's like, oh. So I want to encourage you as a body. We love you guys. But walk. May this little army of people of faith step out. You might be shepherds. And you don't fit on the battleground. 
But God might be asking you to do that, to make an open declaration, to take what you have, which might only be the pebbles you are used to carrying, and to march out there. If I was David, I would have said, God, you know, I really believe you, but could you do it? Like, could you just strike him down before I get to him? (laughs) You know, like, and David ran up to him. I'd be running away from. But sometimes God places that conviction so deeply on your heart that what started out as a walk now becomes a sprint because you're petrified. And you know you got to be full in. And if you don't run, you know you're going to be running the other way. I've been there. So, God, I just pray for this body of believers, for each one of us, God. This journey might have looked very different over the years. Um. It asks us, Lord, to not just acknowledge your sovereignty, not only acknowledge your character, and not only acknowledge that it's all fitting in for your glorious purpose, but then we are left with how we respond, how we walk, the values that you have asked us to embrace in a journey that so often feels uncomfortable. Strengthen, Oregon Hill. May everything about this community of believers be an incredible example to the glory and the power of God. But God, we don't like that process when you strip us and you take maybe even some of the strengths we had and we feel like you've even taken those. But we don't war. Or we do war. (laughs) We don't want to just show up at the battlefront without engaging, without nothing being lost or won. No, soldiers are made for warfare, so help us to engage in that warfare. But we do this warfare under the direction and the orders of the Lord Almighty. And God, would, we would just ask you that corporately we would sense what you ask us to do. I'll tell you, God... And I've told you this before, how uncomfortable I am when sometimes you change the revelation of who you are to me. I've known you a certain way. I've seen you do things a certain way. And that's my area, my sweet spot with you. Maybe my area of comfort. But maybe sometimes you ask me and you want to be something different to me. And you change your position and your revelation in my life. And you still ask me to walk. So... May you strengthen us wherever we're at in this journey, whether it's corporately, individually, because faith is the currency of heaven. It's when everything is examined, when everything has been refined, what is left 
the gold, silver, the precious stones is that which was done by you, for you, through us, and through you. <laughs> kind of a weird thing, I think. I don't fully understand it. It's a God who chooses to do warfare and chooses to win through very, very weak, empty, and cracked vessels. But that's okay because when people see the vessels, they realize there was something far greater behind them. And that's what life is about. So thank you for this morning. May you use truth to encourage us. Continue to work these things out in our lives, Lord, that we may honor you in the way that we walk. For your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.